It is Super Bowl 58. Welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This podcast has such a long history with the Super Bowl. I covered two Super Bowls before we started Sports with Friends. But on episode 51, we did a Super Bowl show with former Super Bowl champion Brian Kitchen. Also episode 52. We went to Radio Row in Houston for episode 90. Then we had super middleweight champ Caleb Truax from Radio Row Super Bowl Week 126. We also that year had Al Michaels. The following year, we had Al Michaels, Peter King, and Andy Benoit from Sports Illustrated and Monday Morning Quarterback. Then episode 182, we had Andrew Siciliano, my old Syracuse buddy from NFL Network, and Dr. Harvey Schiller. Two years ago, we had Mike Golick, episode 286. Last year, we had uh, Lee Steinberg, the super agent. Last week, we had Gary Myers. So it is an incredible history with the Super Bowl on this podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Aaron Taylor, played six seasons in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers, and then the San Diego Chargers, not the LA Chargers, the San Diego Chargers. He's in Las Vegas. He's a broadcaster and an entrepreneur, and he has a new project for youth football that he is going to talk about. It's called Future Fans, and it's for little kids that he is working with. Since we are talking all about the big game, we should tell you we will also have the latest odds on the game, the MVP, the props, everything, including something on Taylor Swift that you are going to find hysterical. The head odds maker of BovadaSportsBook.com, Patrick Morrow, will be with us. Aaron, anytime we've done a Super Bowl episode, every person we've ever put on says how busy they are. Uh, You, I imagine, are no different, and you are about to have one of the busiest weeks of your life. Set the scene for us. How's Vegas? It's a little sleepy, Seth, but as you know, this week kind of builds, and the closer you get to the game and the event that everybody's in town for, that the airport's worried about having enough space for all the executive and corporate jets, it's a who's who show of everybody in the sports and entertainment world. Uh, It starts out slow, but starts to really build on Wednesday. So the people that are here earlier are probably actually trying to get things done, kind of like myself. Uh, and as the week progresses, it's the Maxim party and the Playboy party and the thises and the thats and the red carpet events. And it is mind boggling how much there is to do, how many people are here and how much fun you can have in seven simple days. It's incredible to think about what this means for so many industries. And the game really does take a backseat. And it's just an interesting idea because there are people who base their whole years um a lot of products base their whole years on being able to market now like right now their super bowl is happening too and as somebody who has an entrepreneurial nature how important is this week like a lot of people will say oh just get to the game already just get me to the super bowl already but this week is very important for a lot of people the people saying let's get to the game already are the players and coaching staffs the organizations the franchises man I've gone to two back in my career, one we won, one we lost after the 97 and 98 seasons, and there's just nothing like it from a player's perspective, and I'm sure we'll get into that as we roll on here, but you're right, this is the single greatest opportunity to see and be seen as we have in this country. It is the marquee event in the sporting world, and because of that, it attracts all the the additional and peripheral worlds that are tangentially tied to it. So people spend oodles of money in ad placements during the game. I'm sitting at a hotel 
looking at a playing field across the way that Adidas has sponsored. This is a great opportunity. Everybody in the sporting industry, everybody that's ever touched the sport of football at some point comes through for at least 48 hours. So as crazy and busy as it is, there's an efficiency here that I think a lot of people appreciate, myself included. That's that's a great point. Um, You know, I probably should have said this to you before you agreed to come on, but I've covered two Super Bowls in my life. I'll go backwards. I covered Super Bowl 48, the one at MetLife Stadium, but I also covered Super Bowl 32. I was a beat reporter for the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Um, had you brought that up, Seth, probably in the front end? We wouldn't be having this conversation, brother. Oh, Listen, man. it's a Sports with Friends podcast. I kind of felt compelled to be honest. Oh, can I unfriend you? How, what do we do? Is that even possible? How does that work? I was. Um, they allowed the media on the field during the part where Terrell Davis had the migraine. And we we had Terrell on this podcast, and we had – he had the migraine and he couldn't see. And Mike Shanahan says to him, you're a decoy um, because everybody's going to gun for you. It'll, it'll leave a path for, for, for Elway to score a touchdown. And I was 10 feet away. And I heard that I'll, I'll, it it is one of it's ingrained in my memory. Um, That was a classic Super Bowl, And it doesn't take anything away from Super Bowl 31 that you guys won. And I'm not trying to, to, I'm not a Broncos fan or anything like that. But that experience helped mold my career. And that game, you and I were on the same field. Man, it, it was crazy. And I, I, I remember being in college at Notre Dame and, and early on my freshman year, Coach Holt's talking about, men, there's nothing worse in life than a missed opportunity. If we handle our business, do what we do, you know, you'll leave Notre Dame as national champions. It gives you the whole spiel. And I had two specific experiences in my entire sports career that includes being a Super Bowl winner and a college football Hall of Famer. One was the loss to Florida State in 1993 with Charlie Ward worked on Derek Brooks, the, the first game of the century, the first game day game. Yep. But the second was Super Bowl 32. We were a 14 point favorite for that game. Yep. Never had there ever been a spread that was that large. And it was warranted on the front end on paper. Unfortunately for us, football's not played on paper, and the Terrell Davis show was something to see. John Elway with the helicopter hit. Like, every player that was on that field, yourself included, felt the energetic shift there of, oh, shit, here we go. And I, I get tingles right now as I talk about it because we'll never get that opportunity back. If we go and win that game, which we could have easily done, and and – I mean, all due credit to Denver. They outplayed us. They had a better plan. I really believe they outcoached us in those first two and a half quarters. It took us a while to get things settled down, particularly on the offensive side. But it's just a different stratosphere. If you win back-to-back Super Bowls, you're the elite of the elite of the elite. And we were so close. We crossed the 50-yard line at the end, famously let Denver score so that we could preserve some time with the limited timeouts that we had to try to get down the field. And we just came up short. But... Man, I, 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 I'm with you. As painful as that is, that is an iconic football game, and it was an honor to be on the field. I'm sorry it didn't work out in our favor, but we had our chance, and, and Denver took it. I totally get it, and I appreciate your candor. Uh, I really do. Uh, let's talk about this week's Super Bowl, uh, a rematch of the 2020 matchup, but very different situations. Uh, the Chiefs come in. Uh, they 
have the the pedigree now. Uh, we've seen them for a number of years. They've won championships. The American public, the the casual fan that's watching this, just will look to the star power of Patrick Mahomes and the the rest of them. This San Francisco team is very good, and I just wanted to get your thought on the idea that people really need to pay attention to the Niners because this is not a team. You know, everybody talks about quarterbacks, but the media is so focused on quarterbacks. There are so many quality football players on the San Francisco 49ers. And I wanted to get your perspective on it. It's remarkable what they've done and all credit goes to John Lynch and the job he's done putting this roster together, the move to get Christian McCaffrey after as banged up as he was trading all those picks and the role that he played as the rushing champ this year and has put that team largely on his back as they tried to figure out what they were going to do at the quarterback position and bring Brock Purdy along. San Francisco is a team that was built to run the football, not come from behind, but that's exactly what they've done in the playoffs. The defense was stout all season. Now that's kind of flipped here in the playoffs. So that's something to worry about if you're a 49er fan and to keep your eye on, particularly against the run, because what we saw Kansas City do against Baltimore, they were running the football. It was gap schemes. It was double teams on the play side and pulling backside guards and, and people moving. But to your point, San Francisco just feels like it's got that it factor. The Mr. Irrelevant is becoming the most relevant player that that organization has had in quite some time and is a hell of a lot more mobile than people give him credit for and can extend plays, extend chains, and has largely avoided the opportunity to make mistakes. San Francisco's favored to win this game. They could easily win this game, but if they're going to do that, it goes back to the fundamentals, and that's protecting the football, and they've got to play good defense. You have to earn the right to rush the passer in this league, and if the Niners can't stop Kansas City's run game, if they don't have an answer for Patrick Mahomes when he pulls that ball down, it's going to be a long afternoon. I grew up in the Bay Area. I was a Raiders fan until 1980 when they left and went to L.A. and became the Traders. So I then became a 49ers fan. And boy, did I time that up well. <laughs> Bryant Young is my best friend from college. He's a pro football Hall of Famer. He got drafted to my hometown. I went to Green Bay where Jim Flanagan was from. Jim Flanagan went to Chicago where Bryant was from. So I'm a 49er fan through and through. And what they've done this season is remarkable. And I'm pulling for them. How much does Mike Shanahan help his son in that coaching situation? I, I mean, how how could you? That not? might be not quantifiable. It it might be just intangible, but it's 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 remarkable. Kyle it really following in his father's footsteps. It's when you look at executives that move. When you look at you know past success, as you say in the stock market, not being an indicator of of future outcomes. What people pay for, what they hire for, what's the most expensive thing to earn and get is experience. So to have somebody that you trust that has a vast array of experience, it's done it at the highest level. It's like I described, I played at De La Salle High School and lost two games. I went to Notre Dame, lost seven games in four years, went back to back Super Bowls with Green Bay. I didn't know anything except a winning culture. I didn't have anything to compare it to. That's all I knew. I then go to the San Diego Chargers and we go one and 15 and eight and eight. And right away I saw, oh my gosh, this is different. I think that's the situation that Kyle's in. He's had this bank as he's grown up and involved as a player and as a coach, 
to have incredible amount of experience, somebody that you can trust to bounce things off of, people to call and leverage his relationships to get their thought power about what you're doing. And I think it's those sort of things that a young coach may panic and make moves and do certain things or not sticking with what it is they believe in and want to work till it can catch fire, that having that sort of relationship between father and son is invaluable. And there's no question he's played an incredible role to keep that train on the tracks and the proofs in the pudding. Here they are the second time in the Super Bowl in five years. We will go back to Las Vegas in just a moment to talk with Aaron Taylor about Super Bowl 58. What about the odds on the Super Bowl? Let's bring in the head odds maker at Bavada, Patrick Morrow. It's one of the biggest gambling days of the calendar year, the sports calendar. There's really more action on this than, than anything else. What's the line? What's the details? What do you think? So, Seth, we've seen the point spread dip to as low as you know, San Fran minus one in this one, and uh, they are now currently back up to minus two. Uh, the money line is currently minus 125 for the 49ers. And between the point spread and the Chiefs, we are seeing roughly 75% of all bets on the Kansas City Chiefs uh, so far. Um, looking at the over-under, uh, not so bad. They're not too lopsided. About 55% of bets are on the over, and it's currently sitting 47 and a half. What we're also doing, Seth, is we're running reduced margin, reduced VIG for the Super Bowl. Minus 105 each side instead of minus 110. So a little promo for folks there if they're betting that game line at Bavada. As far as MVP, all eyes are on Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, but there's a lot of people who think the 49ers are going to win. Could Brock Purdy be a Super Bowl MVP? In a QB first league? Yeah, sort of, kind of. He could, sure. I mean, he's the second biggest favorite on the board right now at plus 225. Uh, however, I mean, you know, San Fran, they have been built up as a team where you can slot in a new QB. Um, I know there's been great debate about Brock Purdy this year. Is he an MVP? Um, are the 49ers winning in spite of him or because of him? Um, Marshall Falk had some great takes on that last week. Um, but uh, yeah, looking at everybody else on the board, uh, Mahomes and Purdy are getting the majority of the action. Um, surprisingly, the kickers. Uh, 500 to one each have gotten a lot of uh, action so far, which you'd think in a game with an over-under that high that they would not be attractive. Uh, again, uh, one of the biggest liabilities we have, uh, we he was 75 to one last week. We've dropped him all the way down to 50 to one after, uh, I think we might've accidentally tethered it up last week, but uh, Brandon Ayuk's all the way down to 40 to one now, and he is our biggest MVP exposure at the bottom. Last week, we talked about the national anthem. What are some other coin toss props? What are the other big ones? The coin toss is there. It's always going to be there, but this is, let, let's get wacky with it. So we, we opened it up to the entire trading team uh, on the North American side of the sports book, which is 30 plus people. Uh, give us the craziest stuff you have so far. So I will run through some of the best ones that I have. Um, how many times will Tony Romo say Jim during the broadcast? I don't know, Jim. I don't know, Jim. Uh, <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> that's a good one, right? Uh, we have Andy Reid to be seen eating a cheeseburger during post-game celebration. CBS only, you know, important uh, note there. We have, uh, will Brock Purdy say during the broadcast, can you smell what the Brock is cooking post-game? 200 to 1. Very unlikely, but a nice little payday if that's something that interests you. Oof, this one a little bit controversial coming off uh, recent TMZ news. Um, will the broadcast be interrupted by live images of Patrick Mahomes Sr. driving a white Ford Bronco? That's up there at 1,000 to 1 right now. So, you know what? This is, 
<laughs> we do the football stuff. That's we take that very seriously, but <laughs> I'm not endorsing that prop, but I'm just saying I asked the guys to cast a very wide net. And uh, my, my goodness, we are at about 100 plus different Taylor Swift props, which is the most we've had for any celebrity at any Super Bowl. But uh, what can you say? At Bavada, we're not immune to the Swifties. Fantastic, Patrick. Enjoy the big game. Thanks so much for doing this. We're going to head back to Vegas now here on the podcast with Aaron Taylor, former player turned broadcaster and entrepreneur. Uh, the elephant in the room. Um, I think she'd appreciate that, Seth. She's not, you know, she's, I, no, I don't I, know if she's, she's slender, right? No, I, yeah, she's not an elephant. She's far from an elephant. Um, no, I, and I, I, I've, I've been impressed. Um, I've equated her year last week on the podcast. I equated this past year, the 2023 year for her to thriller. That's the only way to describe it. I'm not comparing her to Michael Jackson because Michael Jackson did some really awful things and she's a, an upstanding person. So, so to, to the best of my knowledge. So, but, it, but I think her year, she has, a, she has matched the thriller phenomenon. There's been Elvis, the Beatles, Thriller, and now Taylor Swift. Um, forget the right-wing rhetoric about all the, 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 the PSYOP bullshit, all that stupid stuff. How much has she helped the NFL? Or would you argue the NFL does just fine without her? Like, has she had the impact that people think she has? Yes. When you take a look at people that were not watching NFL games prior to maybe not even knowing what an NFL was, not having any ties, not living in a market, not having parents or uncles or aunts or grandmothers that were lifelong fans. It's a new market that comes. And I'll give you a case in point. I've got a seven-year-old daughter who knows who Travis Kelsey is. Mm. She believes that Kansas is going to win the Super Bowl, that which is the team in red, not Kansas City, Kansas. She, she, took 174 pictures of our television screen during the AFC championship when they would cut to the different shows. She sat there for two and a half hours to watch cutaway shots as we rolled to break. Like it's incredible the amount of amplification and visibility that she's brought. And a lot of people like to hate on her because of all the success that she's had, but also took that seven-year-old daughter to her concert at SoFi. And I gotta tell you, Seth, like I didn't know what all the fuss was about but I saw it firsthand. She has galvanized kind of the fringe population. She's a rallying cry to inspire young girls for empowerment. And there's a lot of breakup stuff, you know, that she's gone, but through the eras, as she's evolved, her message is one of positivity. It's one of hope. Very, it's one very of positive. Inclusiveness yes. My, my 15 year old listens to every word she says. So do we walk in and through a whole crazy thing through this organization I work with called Radical Hope that does some great peer to peer stuff on on college campuses. We're sitting in the owner's box at SoFi. We walk in, there's 75, 80 people there from a, a big corporate bank. And within three minutes, these two girls come up and see my daughter and go, hi, I noticed that you don't have a bracelet. Do you know what these are for? Oh, these wow. are Swifty bracelets. And yep. if you don't have one, you give it to somebody here. You can have these two. And if you don't like it, that's okay. You can trade it, but you're in. We're together. Isn't this great? And I sat back and I'm like, what the hell just happened? These 22-year-old girls unsolicitedly 
come up to my daughter. And I tell that story just because it had a profound impact on me because that was the moment I bought in with her. And you saw the Grammy that she won last or a couple nights ago for the album of the year. It, it's an incredible meeting of, of the worlds of visibility. And you have one of the iconic first ballot Hall of Fame tight ends, arguably the best in the game right now with the biggest pop star to your point we've had since Michael Jackson. And it all culminates here in Vegas for the Super Bowl. It's, it, if you could wave a magic wand as an executive in the entertainment industry, this is the scenario that you would create and both Taylor Swift, the Kansas City Chiefs and the NFL in its entirety have been the direct beneficiaries and they've been fanning those flames and smartly so. If this Super Bowl is won by the Chiefs, the Chiefs seem to be their own worst enemy in the sense that the comparisons for Kansas City, this is this is a great Prince reference. Their only competition is them in the past. And one aspect of Kansas City's game, it just seems like they have galvanized by having to go on the road. That this Kansas City Chiefs team may not have as much talent as the Tyreek Hill era, but they they are driven, and there's an intangible there. As someone who played football, covers football, seen football, can that be a difference maker in a game like this? Man, it, it's that's a great question, and the answer simply is yes, but it's a nuanced answer. Part of the reason we lost Super Bowl Thirty Two to Denver is because we were overconfident. I didn't we, bring it up this time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so that overconfidence worked against us. We knew just how hard it was to get to the Super Bowl for the first time. And at that time, we had two players on our entire roster that had experience, and that was Don Beebe and Jim McMahon. And they said, fellas, you have never experienced anything like you're going to experience in these next two weeks. You'll be given interviews to a Japanese newspaper with a translator. Like, you're not going to understand how many distractions there are, and you've got to manage that. So we were able to do that and win down in New Orleans. And I think because of that, we were overconfident because we had had some success. That's not been the case with Kansas City. And oh, by the way, Andy Reid was on that staff as our tight ends coach. So he saw firsthand as well how dangerous it is to overlook your opponents, how dangerous it is, how dangerous it is to, to rest on your laurels. I think what's amazing with this team is how singularly focused they are, that they can go on the road and beat a Josh Allen, that they can go on the road against a really good defense and beat a Lamar Jackson. That was unprecedented. They hadn't had, Mahomes particularly hadn't had to go do that, yet they were able to. And they relied on their defense, which has been the best that Patrick Mahomes has had. They've relied on their run game largely. And most importantly, they haven't turned the ball over. Patrick Mahomes has played six straight playoff games without an interception. If you can possess the football, stop the run, and keep people from getting in the end zone, which is what Kansas City's defense did against Miami, against Buffalo, against the Ravens, you're going to win a lot of football games. So this team knows what's at stake. They know how to prepare, and I think because of that experience, it's really going to be what carries them over the top. Don't count out Patrick Mahomes as an underdog. He'd love for you to do that. He's 9-3 and three in those situations. And with quarterbacks, with 10 or more starts going back 50 years, he's only one of 10 guys that has ever 
done that. And two of those three losses in that nine and three threw for over 350 yards and four touchdowns. So it wasn't on him. That works to their advantage. And I think in the end, it's going to be a high scoring game that Kansas City wins. And it's going to be because they protect the football and force field goals. All right. Uh, if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, you're going to go, oh, my God, he's going to tell that story again. But I'll tell you what, if they make the Super Bowl, I'll tell this story. I get to tell the story. If they don't make the Super Bowl and it's the Buffalo Bills against the Niners, this story never comes up. I played catch with Patrick Mahomes when he was three years old. <laughs> with baseball somehow involved, I'm sure. Yeah. D- during my years at MLB, uh, we covered a lot of Minnesota Twins events, including spring training. And there was a bring your kid to work day at the Twins, and we were there. Uh, I was dear friends with uh, Jock Jones and Tory Hunter and Latroy Hawkins. Latroy Hawkins, who, by the way, is Patrick Mahomes' godfather and has been on the podcast six times. And what I remember is playing catch with a kid. What I didn't know was that was Pat Mahomes' son. <laughs> And uh, when the Chiefs first burst onto the playoff scene, Latroy's so- social media was like he had money on Kansas City. I-, I just was like, "What? what is the deal? And he's like, no, no, that- that's my godson. And by the way, you played catch with him at Fort Myers, Florida. So I go into it saying, if anybody wants to know who I'm rooting for, I root for the guy that I played catch with. And how could you be wrong for that? I know sometimes in the media we have to be impartial and unbiased and those things. And I call games, so I understand how important it is, particularly when there's relationships involved. But that's what makes sports sports, man. Like, we've all got a horse in the race somehow, some way, whether it's games of chance or we grew up in Cincinnati and we're diehard Bengals fans because everybody in our family's a diehard Bengal fan. I graduated from Notre Dame, the Subway alumni and the lineages from family to family. Sports means something, man. And it's the one opportunity to bring together people that might not ordinarily mix and have this three and a half hour window where we're all aligned in what it is we want to do. And we get to keep score up on the scoreboard about how well we work together as a team, how well we handle and navigate adversity. We matchups, making adjustments. There's some things about sports that I think get overlooked because of all the fanfare and NIL and all the negative press and other things that it oh, we is. We can do a whole college football podcast. We'll talk, talk it's about it. It's a mess. And at the heart it's of that absolute mess, mess is the most beautiful game that's ever been created. It's one that I happen to play. I'm clearly biased, but there's no other sport that I'm aware of that requires the commitment, the 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 release of ego, working together, playing through pain. There's a 100% injury rate when you play football. Like you're going to be banged up and you have to find a way to be at your best when your best is needed. So root on for Patrick Mahomes, man. Like those are the stories. Like it is in this industry, it's all about storytelling, right? Even the director, when he's cutting shots after a big moment and you have the surrender cobra, the fan, you know, the kicker that just missed the kick or the elation and the kiss and the little kid, the people that are crying. That's what this game is. It happens on the field, but it's all those tangential stories like you just shared about playing catch with this three-year-old kid. You had no idea that would ascend and and is on track to be the greatest quarterback that's ever played this game. And we just saw Tom Brady retire. Now he's got a hell of a lot of work to do between now and the time he retires 
to be able to wear that crown, but he has unprecedented success this early in a career. We've never seen it at the quarterback position, and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. Before we uh, set you off into the uh, the magic of Las Vegas, um, one Vegas question. When the Super Bowl was in New York, if I went three miles from MetLife Stadium into the heart of Times Square, there were people who literally had no idea the Super Bowl was even happening. Is that what Vegas will be? Will Vegas be transfixed by the Super Bowl? Or is this going to be one of those where Sure, there's a Super Bowl going on, but that's not going to stop the old lady at the slot machine. She's not going to care about this game. And there will people who, there will be people who watch the game at a sports book as opposed to going anywhere near the game. And that's what the locals will do. But this is a, a city of entertainment and you can't walk a, a foot in any direction and not see some sort of branding. A Chiefs helmet, a 49ers helmet, the NFL logo, Super Bowl 58. It's everywhere. The old lady that's sitting at the slot machine that wants to fly in from the, the, the dust or rust belt ain't here. She can't do the four-night minimum at $750 a night and have to stay over Sunday night. It weeds out a lot of people that would normally be here where they could afford to come here. It's hard for me to pay for the accommodations at time. It's like, whoo, how can they do that? They're doing it all day long. The amount of money, the amount of resources that get spent but also made is really unprecedented. Everybody's here this week in particular because of this event that's going on and it builds as the week goes along. So we're early on in the week here, but if you get to Wednesday and beyond, Seth, it is bananas. It might take you an hour and a half to go three miles in a car because there's so many uh, you know, booze cruises and duck rides and limos and oh, this is and that's, it's, it's bananas. And there's probably not a city that's more equipped and ready to throw a party for an event like this than the city of Las Vegas. And it is something to see. And I will not wait and will be excited when I'll be able to get my car and drive home and get back in bed at 830 like a normal human being. Like a normal person, like like the rest of us. I, I get it. See that? He's a Super Bowl champion and he's just like us. Um, tell me about, and I should have brought this up earlier in the podcast, tell me about future fans. Future Fans is a really innovative learning system that creates a fun and easy way for kids to learn the sport of football. It's a storybook-led experience, so think family experience in a box. You have this storybook that follows these two characters that go to Camp Rallyhoo, but it's really a creative way to ingest the rules of the game of football in parallel ways without the kids really knowing or understanding. So it was created by a couple of girl dads and I'm a girl dad and you, my two older boys like the sport of football, but my daughter doesn't because football takes daddy away for big periods of time. So she's almost adamant about not watching it, but I got the book out. I started reading to her and one of the first games that you get to do and spend time with your child is a ring toss game. You have four rings and four bean bags. So you have four chances to get the beanbag into the next ring. If you do, you get to stand in that ring and you get four more chances to try to throw a beanbag into the next ring and on and on and on. And that's the creative way that you introduce the concepts of having four chances, four tries to get a first down. So that goes all the way through the whole sport of football. There's wristbands and playbooks and bingo cards where you know you put an X through and mark if you get a rushing touchdown or a rushing first down or a punt to help learn the games 
And it's pretty simple. You read a book, you play games, you create a sports fan for life. So if you're a girl dad out there and looking to convert somebody in your family that can't really understand the sport of football or maybe isn't interested from the four to 10 year old range, go to futurefans.com or Amazon and go ahead and take a look. It's an incredibly creative way to, to teach a sport of football to young folks. And I've used it myself and that's my buy-in. Like I've seen it work. I used it with my daughter and I'm super excited about it. And I hope you will be too. Well, how can people find more information? We'll put a link in the show notes, but how can people, is there a website, a social media account? Yeah, you can go to futurefans.com. If you put in the word super, you get 15% off. You can also find us on Amazon. It's a low cost way to get a family experience in a box and hopefully create a sports fan for life. So you're not sitting on the couch watching the game by yourself, which is what I do when my daughter's home, but that's no longer the case. So I'm really excited about it. It's, it's important for me to, to pitch and represent things that I believe in. And had I not tried it and had the success that I had, I probably wouldn't be endorsing it the way that I am, but it created a moment of connection for my daughter and I, and it was a really, really creative and fun and easy way to do that. That's fantastic. And congratulations on it. And I look forward to seeing more and more about it. I'm going to check out the website. Like I hope people listening to this podcast do. Uh, Aaron, who do you like in this game? Kansas City's going to win this game and they're going to do it the old fashioned way. They're going to run the football. They're going to score points. They're going to make big plays. San Francisco's really struggled to stop the run. Kansas City offensively, part of how they found their identity without a marquee group of wide receivers is to incorporate the running game. This is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has had. And as great of a story as Brock Purdy has been, this isn't a 49ers team that's built to come from behind. I believe Kansas City can contain, not necessarily stop uh, the run game. And it's going to come down to turnovers and forcing field goals. I believe Kansas City wins a close one, but it'll be a lot of points and very entertaining for us. And it'll be another feather in the cap of what could be the greatest quarterback to ever play this game. And the last question I will have for you, which will be my favorite one, on a typical day this week, how many interviews will you do with radio shows, podcasts, uh, uh, social media, live streams? How many? It's for me, a guy like me, 10 a day and builds when I'm on Radio Row on Wednesday with future fans. 30, 35. It, it's seemingly nonstop. Five in interviews in a day. That's that's crazy. And that doesn't count, Seth, sitting in line at Starbucks and somebody recognizing me or saying, hey, you look like a football player, are you? Those interviews count as well. So from that standpoint, you just know that, man. That's part of the deal. You get off the plane, you walk in here, you're on for as many days as you're here, and it doesn't turn off until you get out of the city limits. Totally, totally. Aaron, I cannot thank you for sitting down with me and doing this podcast. I know how in demand you were. I, I saw, I got emails about you from multiple sources. I had multiple emails going, <laughs> he, he's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing I was like, oh my God, I felt so lucky that you came on the, the podcast. Uh, do, let's do this again. I, I have an idea. In like a month, let's do a college football podcast. That would be a lot of fun. And I appreciate it, Seth. And, and we can stay friends. I might even let you keep my letter jacket. We'll talk about that. But you cannot bring up Super Bowl 32 with Denver ever again, or it's over, buddy. That is a deal. That is Aaron Taylor. Enjoy Super Bowl 58. I think Kansas City wins as well. 
Next week, we'll move on to other sports because that's what we do here on Sports with Friends. We'll see you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to see. I'm about to go, and then you'll know for me to stay. I got to be me. smile Come on, please I'm gone, forget to reach me by phone, because I promise I'll be gone for a while When you see me again I hope that you have been the kind of person